G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon focuses on Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 14, and it's the second as part of our series, Promise Maker, Promise Keeper. And today we're looking at the covenant of circumcision and our promise marking God. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. The first reading comes from Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. Um, when, Ab- when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make you my c- my covenant between me and you will be greatly increased your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you and me and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will live I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, and you and you or and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant and you will and your descendants after you the covenant you are to keep every male among you shall be circumcised you are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between you and me for the generations to come every male among you who is 8 days old must be circumcised including those born in your household or brought with money from a foreigner those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or brought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised, uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, You are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings of people will come to her. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. The Bible is a bit of a soap opera. Part neighbours, part days of our lives... Does anyone watch Days of Our Lives anymore? Apparently there's like 14,000 episodes of Days of Our Lives. It's, um, yeah, it's very long running. 
Um, so the Bible is like a soap opera. There's a, there's a dash of history in it, uh, and there is a lot of divine intervention. The story of the Bible has more twists and turns and uh, surprise endings than a Netflix binge. Today we're looking at an important passage of Scripture, but it's going to navigate some awkward territory. Uh, and Lexi, you did such a good job of doing that reading and navigated some really tricky words and some tricky concepts in the Bible reading you just learned and we just read. We're going to be talking today about, take a deep breath everyone, circumcision, <laughs> which is the removal of the male foreskin. But ultimately this morning, through it all, we're going to be seeing what happens when we have to wait on a promise-keeping God. Last Sunday, it was great to have Mike Upton uh, from Bush Church Aid uh, immerse us in the soap opera of Genesis. We learned that in Noah's day, the world becomes such a crazy, immoral place that God decides to push the reset button. All living creatures are wiped out in a global flood. Apart from Noah, his family, and the creatures on the ark. Eight people and two of every kind of animal are tasked with repopulating the earth. It seems like it's going to work after God puts a beautiful rainbow in the sky, like Zoe said in her kids' talk. A sign to remind the people and to remind God, as Mike pointed out last week, of God's mercy. But soon after landing, Noah uh, quickly makes a still, makes his own homemade moonshine and alcohol. He gets drunk, uh, and then he causes a whole bunch of drama and sin for his family. Soon, Noah's descendants are again telling God to get stuffed at the Tower of Babel. But again, God saves them from themselves, from themselves by switching up their languages. Genesis 10 through 11, and if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Genesis 17. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, but Genesis 10 to 11 is like a family tree, talking about Noah's descendants. What's interesting, however, is that as the people cut themselves off from God and move further and further away from the God who created the world, their lifespans get shorter. Notice Adam, the first guy, he lives to 930. Then uh, Noah, he lives to 950, that's pretty long. Uh, but notice Shem, Noah's son, lives to 600. Now, I realize these, these, these ages are outrageous when we're thinking about time nowadays, where um, a lifespan, I think the oldest woman ever alive was about 124 when she died. That's, that seems to be how, where humans max out these days. Um, but notice, Shem, 600. Um, Eber, that's Noah's grandson, is 464 years. And then all of a sudden we get down to Abraham. And we meet Abraham when he's about 99 years old in Genesis 17. So people's lives are getting shorter as they move away from God. But God isn't finished with his people yet. And so he calls Abram. Now, Abram, when we meet him, is stuck. He's a 75-year-old shepherd who lives in a tent with his wife, Sarai. Sadly, they can't have any kids. So Abram and Sarai are just waiting around in the desert for their family line to die out. But then in Genesis 12, God comes on the scene. 
And he tells Abram to move to Canaan, where he will give him a country of his own, a family to live in, and blessings beyond compare. Land, family, and blessings. Abram faithfully moves to Canaan, but on his way, he offers his wife Sarai, not once, but two times to hostile kings as their wife, lying to save his own skin. Finally, they arrive in Canaan, and Sarai and Abram don't instantly conceive, so Sarai talks Abram into having a baby through a surrogate. Um, she, she takes, um, today we would call it polyamory, or um, a thruple, or an open relationship. Um, but basically, she says, here's my servant girl, Hagar, have a baby with her. She's hoping to help God's promises along. But when Hagar has her boy, Sarai gets upset and the family is torn apart. I told you it was a soap opera. (laughs) This is not what God had in mind. All of this sin on Abram's part sets him back and sets back God's promises. But God is faithful to his promises. As Abram gets older, God promises him not once, not twice, but three times that he will give him children who will live in the land God's given them, who will bless the whole world. And it's into this third promise that we drop down today in Genesis 17. And if you've got your Bibles, um, I encourage you to look at Genesis 17 verse 1, which says, When Abram was 99 years old, yes, you read that right, 99 years old, the Lord Almighty appeared to him. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make a covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram is stuck. He's 99 and it's been 25 years since God made his original promises to give Abram a son. And Abram and Sarai are still waiting. But God here significantly introduces himself for the first time in the Bible. That word God Almighty up there is El Shaddai in Hebrew, which means God of the mountains, God Almighty. Abram is weak and at the end of his life, but the God of the mountains, God Almighty, comes to him. God Almighty visits a 99-year-old shepherd who shouldn't even be buying green bananas, let alone painting a nursery. And he says, I'm making a promise to you right now. You're going to have a great big family who will bless the whole earth. Notice how this isn't a contract. It's a covenant. A contract is a promise based on mutual payoff. I promise to give you $50 a month and you let me use your mobile network, for instance, in return. There's no relationship there. A covenant, however, is a promise based on a relationship. A marriage is a covenant. An adoption is a covenant. It's a promise to behave in a certain way that benefits not yourself, but the person you're making the covenant with. God Almighty reveals his name, renews his covenant, and is about to show this poor, stuck couple living in the desert what El Shaddai can do. But before the promises can begin to flow, God cuts a covenant. God gives Abraham a new name, Abraham. 
Two simple letters make a world of difference. Most Bibles will tell you in the footnotes that Abram means exalted father. Pretty good name, but Abram, of course, is a sitting name. He's not a father of anything. And Abraham means father of many nations. Here God shows Abraham that he won't just be a dad. He'll be a dad of many, and not just of a couple of kids, but of whole nations, kings even. Later in Genesis 17, as Lexi read, Sarai also gets a name change. Her name gets changed to Sarah, just one letter. But Sarai means princess, while Sarah means my princess, with a queenlier, more exalted tone. This must have sounded beyond belief. God is ready to establish an everlasting covenant with Abraham, giving him the whole land of Canaan and a family to live in it. God is upgrading his promises. But friends, this is the God we are worshipping today. We should expect this. Friends, so often our prayers are so small. God, help that meeting to go well. God, please make the tension in my back go away. God, could I just have one good night of sleep this week? So often we forget that the God we know in church, the God we meet in the Bible, is a promise maker and a promise keeper. We can and must take our little prayers to God, but we must also realize that God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Now, spoiler alert, Abraham and Sarah do have kids. And today, some three billion, you heard that right, some three billion people belong to Abrahamic faiths. They look to Abraham as their forefather. Jews, Muslims, and Christians all look to Abraham as a father of our faith. If Abraham could only see the glorious ways God fulfilled his promises, I think his mind would have exploded. But that's the gravity of the promises that God is making to Abraham in this reading. So friends, let's pray. Let's pray for an end to COVID-19. Let's pray for an end to domestic violence. Let's pray, pray for the leaders of our nation that revival might come. Let's pray into the next hundred years of St. John's that we would continue to know Jesus and make Jesus known in this place, that we would grow and thrive and that our children would know Jesus and that their children's children would know him too. When we're stuck and it seems like our lives are going nowhere and have no purpose, let's remember Sarah. Let's remember Abraham and how God's promises breathed new life, new purpose, and new potential into theirs. We need to pray big prayers as well as little ones in the knowledge that our God is El Shaddai, God Almighty. That was a lovely sound. (laughs) Now these almighty promises take a bit of a yucky turn in verses 9 to 11, but If we can just get past the yuck factor, we're going to see something pretty phenomenal. In verse 9, God says, This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. 
and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and between you. Now, circumcision isn't something we talk about or think about on a daily basis, but it's a big part of the Bible. I remember at uni, I was part of an international Bible study, and we had these students from uh, Korea and China, and I was trying to explain to them simple English concepts, and when circumcision came up in the Bible, um, I, I always knew that I got through because they, they would look really confused when, oh, what is circumcision? And uh, when I sort of ex- described it to them with diagrams, <laughs> their faces would go from confusion to <gasps> shock. <laughs> but it's a big theme in the Bible. And if we can get past the yuck factor, we can see something very profound going on here. For thousands of years, in many cultures, circumcision has been practiced as a tribal ritual coming into adulthood. It's a permanent and very personal sign of community belonging. But the peoples living around Abraham didn't practice circumcision. And so God invites Abraham and all his descendants into something fresh something new. God is calling his people to be a peculiar people, people who live differently and mark themselves in the most intimate and permanent way, to give themselves a daily reminder of the covenant God Almighty has made with them and with their whole family. People do argue that circumcision has health benefits, but ultimately this covenant is a promise between God and Abraham. It is a personal reminder of belonging, belonging to God and to a community. And so Abraham goes ahead and becomes circumcised at 99 years old. Yeah. And so do all his servants and all the people in his household. And in that, God marks out a community. In verse 12, we read, For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. This is a personal and also a community promise. But it's not a class thing. In the Bible times, uh, slavery was common. But it was different to the type of slavery we think of when we picture American and British slave trades. Slaves in Abraham's day were often treated well and could earn their freedom. And some slaves even opted after earning their freedom to serve the families they belonged to. Because life was best for them in this community where they worked and lived in. Circumcision was a great leveler, in fact, because it said, hey, we're all made in God's image. And God has made this promise to everyone in our community. All of us are privy to God's promises. And notice how there are serious consequences for opting out of this covenant. Verse 14 Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. If you didn't want to live for God, if you didn't want to be part of God's promises, then you would miss out. Many people chose this avenue and they blended into the other cultures around them, worshipping their gods and stopped worshipping God Almighty. 
But there was a remnant, a group of people who passed down this sign from generation to generation. And when their kids asked them about it, they would say, it is because we serve God Almighty. Friends, this is a reminder for us today that we're either in or out. Lent is a great time to take stock and decide. Do I want to follow God? Or is this Christianity thing too hard? Is it too inconvenient, too difficult? Do I want to be popular with the people around me and compromise the way I live for God? Or is God the most important reality in my life? Abraham and his descendants, down through the generations, had a choice. Do I mark myself for God or forget about it? Now, this may seem harsh, but it's a fair question. What is my priority and what am I willing to do to commit to this? Is it God and his kingdom or is it a world where I am my own ruler? Now, uh, the elephant in the room needs to be addressed. Is this passage prescriptive? Does it prescribe the way we are to live today? Or does it describe an event that happened many, many years ago? Do our boys need to be circumcised today? Should the men in the congregation cross their legs and be worried? (laughs) The answer is no. Phew. For the early church, circumcision was a big issue. In fact, the book of Galatians is all about circumcision. While the first Christians were mainly Jewish and were therefore circumcised as infants, many Gentile, that's non-Jewish people, started becoming believers, and many of them were not. So the question was raised, do these people need to be circumcised as adults in order to become Christians? And pastors like the Apostle Paul came back with an emphatic No. He writes in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. See what good news Jesus is. See the difference Jesus makes. Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises to Abraham. Jesus came to build God's land, God's kingdom on earth. Jesus came to be a way for all of us back into God's family. And Jesus is the ultimate blessing promised to Abraham. Jesus came from Abraham's family line. He was circumcised on the eighth day, but he fulfilled the law perfectly so that when you and I don't fulfill the law perfectly, we are saved. We are privy to God's promises. That's why we need Jesus, friends. Through Jesus and what he achieved on the cross and in his resurrection, all of us can become daughters and sons of Abraham. But more importantly, we become children of God Almighty and inheritors of all God's promises. For Christians, baptism, for obvious reasons, quickly became the outward sign that superseded circumcision. 
This is why in our church we baptise babies because we want to publicly align our children with God and his promises. In Jesus, we are also called to mark our allegiance to God in a much more inclusive, personal and deep way. God wants to mark us right down in our hearts. Not just men, but all people. All people united in Christ. A community of people with circumcised hearts. Hearts marked out for God. This is why it's so wonderful that next Sunday we're going to have a whole group of young St. John's people committing themselves to God. They were baptized as babies and now they are saying, yes, yes, I choose to be part of God's promises and I'm publicly committing myself to God and his promises. As our young people are confirmed, they will claim all the promises God made to Noah, Abraham, and all God's people since. Promises that are fulfilled in Jesus. Promises to bless us, to reconcile us to God. Promises to redeem all creation and make all things new. Promises of eternal life with God now on earth and in heaven into eternity. And so friends, this is one of the things the text asks of us this morning. Are we ready to circumcise our hearts? Are we ready to let God mark us as his own? If you're not ready, that's okay. You're in a safe space. You're actually in the best place to consider whether God exists and whether this matters for your life. If you are ready then Lent is a perfect time to mark your life out for God. You can do this in fun, visual ways uh, by popping Bible promises around your house. Um, I remember when I was going through college and was having a really tough time, um, I put on over my, my door frame, so before I went out to classes, it said, nothing is impossible with God. And I just reminded myself of that every day. And God got me through because nothing is impossible with God. You could also do this by uh, volunteering to help out with church. Saying, this year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start serving. We, we, we desperately need more people on our rosters to make our church services happen. So if, if you want to upgrade your commitment to God... And mark out your covenant and say, God, I'm waiting for your promises to be fulfilled. But in the meantime, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to commit to you. Then that, that's something I encourage you to do. And I'd love to talk to you after the service if that's something you want to do. We could also do this in private and personal ways. By praying for God to mark our hearts. Or by uh, committing to fasting regularly. Or by committing to reading our Bibles every day. In the waiting rooms of life, El Shaddai, God Almighty, wants us to mark our lives for him in holiness and faithfulness. The God of the Bible is a promise maker and a promise keeper. All through Abraham and Sarah's lives, he was bringing them into his promises and refining them for what he had in store. He's doing the same for us. Our God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And we have our call to mark 
our own hearts and follow him. I'm going to finish with um, the words of um, a a poem by R.S. Thomas, the great British poet. Um, It's called Kneeling. Moments of great calm, kneeling before an altar, of wood in a stone church, in summer waiting for the God to speak, the air a staircase, for silent, the sun's light ringing me as though I acted a great role, and the audiences still, and that close throng of spirits waiting as I for the message prompt me, God, but not yet, when I speak, though it be you who speak, through me, something is lost. The meaning is in the waiting.